mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, The Curse Stops Here. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 35, verses 15 through 19. Here now... Pastor Moody. Genesis 35, I want to read just a few verses tonight, or this morning rather, verse starting in verse number, let me start in verse 15. I think I told y'all 16, but let's go back to 15. Genesis 35, verse 15, the Bible said, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. I mean, I could preach right there. The place where God spoke with him or spoke to him was called Bethel, and Bethel means the house of God. It's not stained windows or steeples that makes a place the house of God, but it's where God talks to you. Can you say, oh, hallelujah. It's where God moves and ministers to you. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way till they came to Ephrath. You need to know that Ephrath means fertility or life. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name, or the boy's name, Benoni. She called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin or Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem, or the house of bread. I want to preach just for a little while this morning. This, is, this portion of Scripture is laden with preaching. I want to tell you, it is rich with messages in those four verses right there. But something happened here that God dealt with me about some years ago. I preached it in a, in a tent meeting years ago and saw hundreds touched by the power of God. I've preached it other places, but yesterday or the day before yesterday, actually, God began to deal with me about the idea of breaking generational curses. He began to deal with me about it. There's some things that won't let go of people that need to, to let go. Can you say amen? And Jacob, his name meant supplanter deceiver, trickster. He was from a dysfunctional family. The family was a mess. They, the blessing, the, the, the favor of God was upon it. God had, had spoken prophecy from Abraham to Isaac and then into Jacob that in them that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But you got to understand these people had blew it in every way it could be blown. And so Jacob, Rachel, is having their second son, amen, she, Joseph was the first, and Benjamin would be the second. But she dies in giving birth. And so she speaks the name Benoni over him, which means the son of my sorrow. And Jacob says, this is it. This is enough. 
enough with these names that bring plague and, and dysfunction and, and, and cause the family to be a mess. He said his name is not going to be Benoni, but Benhamin, which means the son of my strength. The son of my strength. And so I want to preach this morning for a little while on the thought of the curse stops here. The curse stops here. Amen. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Amen. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. Tell somebody the curse is broken. And I'm free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Coriander Mosiah. Generational junk is going to fall off of people's lives today. The curse stops here. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. And we pray your favor, your blessing upon me. Help me today to preach what you've dealt with me about. And I'll give you praise. Save the sinner. Set the captive free. Break the curses of witchcraft and addiction and bondage and depression and discouragement and fear. Break the discourages, God, the, the curses that have been put upon people for generations. Let them be free today, and we'll give you praise. And the church said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The idea of generational curses is deeply, deeply rooted in Scripture as well as the idea of generational blessings. I need to say that too. When God gave the Ten Commandments, He spoke specific blessings and curses even that were generational even in the giving of the Ten Commandments. There was a place in the Old Testament where they stood on two mountains, one called Gerizim, and one called Ebal. Mount Ebal, they stood there, and the priest read the law, and he said, all of these curses will come up on your generations if you violate these laws. But Mount Gerizim, he said, all of these blessings will come up on your generations if you keep the law. So there's something to be said about generational things throughout the Bible. In Exodus chapter 20, listen, this is God talking. He said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make unto thee no graven image. Shall not make unto thee any graven image. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself, verse 5, to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God. Watch this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Everybody say generational curse. There it is. Now watch this. Again, in the Ten Commandments, God says this in verse 12. He says, honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Everybody say generational blessing. Right there. Honor your father and mother. Hallelujah. I want you to know that, that rebellion, the Bible said, is as the sin of witchcraft. The word in the original writing was pharmacia. It's where we actually get the word pharmacy. 
which is not a bad thing, except for the fact that it denotes in the Scripture the use of controlling substance, something that controls and changes your behavior and controls your mental processes and, and affects your spirit. I want to say this, that rebellion has led to many cases of alcoholism. Alcoholism is a curse. When, when a man or a woman indulge in alcoholism, it leads to generations of alcoholics and drug addicts. I know this may not be popular preaching, but it is. That's why the devil wants to convince the church that it's all right to drink liquor today. Are you here? But that's why the devil wants some preacher stand up and tell you, you can drink a little as long as you don't get drunk. Let me tell you something. If it takes 10 beers to get you drunk, you drink one, you're one-tenth drunk. Hello, it's a controlling substance. Hallelujah. Let, let me go on. Now, the idea that things can bring curses upon people for generations is throughout the Bible. There's a real danger when people are involved in the occult. Or in false religions. Anything that's a false religion is in fact the occult. Whether it's an eastern religion, whether it's somebody reading tarot cards or looking into a glass thing, ball, whatever you call it, thing to try to predict your future. Whether it's picking up the paper and reading your horoscope. Woo! Hallelujah. Somebody said, well, Gene Dixon predicted that John Kennedy was going to get shot in Dallas. Well, yeah, demons talk to each other. Are you with me? I'll just let you think about that for a while. And Jesus said, Matthew 24 and 4, take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5, for many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There are religions today that use the name of Jesus that are a cult, that bring generational curses upon their followers. Taz Russell's group that, uh, that knock on doors and pass out the Watchtower tract. Hello, he started that. He was an occult teacher. He took the Bible and dismantled it and come up with something called the New World Translation that's a disgrace to the Word of God. Are you with me? They call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not. We are. Hallelujah. Come on. Praise God. Somebody said you shouldn't talk about other denominations. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about cults. Are you hearing me? There are others that ride around on bicycles with white shirts and neckties and little name tags. Call themselves Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith got that doctrine. He got it from an angel named Moroni. They should have named him Bologna. Are you with me? Because he gave him another testament, called it the Book of Mormon, and said it was equal to the Bible. Are you with me? Jesus said it would happen. Am I preaching all right? Jesus said it would happen. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. Then in verse 8 he says of Galatians 1, but though we or an angel should uh, from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have preached, that, that, that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, for I say, and I, we said before, as we said before, so say I now again, 
If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Now, the name Jacob meant deceiver and trickster. Benjamin meant the son of my right arm, and Benoni meant the son of my sorrow. The idea is that this family came under generational curses because of the failure even of the patriarchs and of the founding fathers. I want to tell you something today. There are people today, we are in our society experiencing a plague. Can I say that? We are experiencing a plague that's as bad as any plague that's ever touched any society, be it the bubonic plague or the black plague or whatever you want to call it. And it's the plague of addiction. I, I want to say that. The addiction. I, if you looked at the newspaper this week, you saw murder trials where people were killed and their bodies were chopped up and put in garbage bags. Are you hearing me? If you, if you looked at the paper any time, I'm not talking about New York City. I'm talking about Madison County. When you look at the paper, you, you see continual arrest and, and, and they're calling I-75 the pipeline from Detroit and the drugs that are here. I hear of it daily, constantly. People that are, that are cooking cocaine in a spoon with bacon powder and water to make it into a lump so they can smoke it in a crack pipe. Are you hearing me? They cook heroin and shoot it into their arms now in Madison County. It's a plague on our society. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? And much of it is the result of generational curses because there was a time when in Madison County, oh, I'm about to preach right here, we were known as one of the top ten party towns in the country because of the university here. And it seemed like that the the beer joints, the liquor stores, the bars, the clubs have done more to destroy families and destroy lives. There are people sitting in this room that almost starved to death as children because daddy was hooked on alcohol. Are you hearing me? And now you're watching your siblings go down that same road and you wonder what's it going to take. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's going to take the blood of Jesus, the power of the gospel, and the Holy Ghost to break the curses off of your family. I want to tell you it's not something to be overlooked but we need today to declare that the curse stops now. Hallelujah. It stops now. Let me show you if I can just for a few moments in the life of Jacob the beginning of the curse the beginning of the problem. I I go back to Abraham. I think about Abraham and Sarai. And Abraham has been promised of God he'll be the father of many nations. His name was Abram. He was the father of none. Sarai was the mother of none. And then God gave them a promise when they were 75. They waited 25 years before it came to fruition. He told them, you're going to have a son. They got old, and she looked at Abram, and she said, Listen, God hadn't done what he said he was going to do. Maybe we're supposed to help him out. 
So she gives him Hagar. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And he goes into Hagar, and she goes from being a maid to being a mother. Are you hearing me? She has a son named Ishmael. God would call him a wild ass or a wild donkey because he's always kicking against everybody. He said his hand will always be in the throat of his brethren. We know him as the Arab nations of the world today. Can somebody uh, identify with what I'm saying? They, they're either trying to kill you, kill the Jews, or kill each other all the time. I mean, it's, you've got two different groups of them that, 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 that even among themselves, they hate each other. There's war continually. It never stops. So, so then, after this debacle, after they failed to trust God, finally God shows up at the tent door one night. Abraham is now under 100 years old, and Sarah's not far behind. And God speaks to him and says, I want you to know by the time of life, in other words, let me translate, in nine months, I'll come back by. And Sarah will be holding a baby that she's born of you. And the scripture said, Sarah laughed. She laughed at it. She laughed because she doubted it. Abraham laughed because he said, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Are you with me? Amen. They both laughed. So they named their child Isaac Laughter. So then Isaac, he gets Rebecca. He has a son. I know I'm skipping a lot of stuff here. And uh, when, when, when Rebecca is with child, this is where I want to go. The scripture says in Genesis 25 and 21, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. The Lord was entreated of him or heard him and she conceived. Amen. And the scripture said in verse 22 that the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And he said, there's two nations in your womb. And uh, uh, when they were born, they came out. One was red and hairy all over the firstborn. They called him Esau, Jacob came out, grabbed him by the heel. And so they named him Esau, the man of the field. They named Jacob the supplanter, the deceiver. And this Bible goes on to declare the problem. It says in Genesis 25 and 28, it says, Isaac loved Esau. Say that with me. Isaac loved Esau. And then it said, because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So what you have is you've got a family with two twin boys and dad loves the hunter. He loves the field and stream guy. Can you say amen? And uh, yet Rachel loves uh, Jacob. Jacob is a mama's boy. He's not a hunter. He was, by all intentions, maybe, I don't know, maybe a sissy. He may have been, he may not have been. But the scripture declares that there was a difference made between them by dad and by mom. Can I say it? The family became dysfunctional. I want to say this today, that there are a lot of children today that are living under a curse because they were never affirmed by dad. Or perhaps they were never affirmed by mom. And the family was split and they fought one against the other. Oh am I preaching to anybody today? And the families tore all to pieces and you think well it's always been that way and the sad thing is that some of them, amen, never see each other again till one of them has the misfortune of looking at the other one in the casket and then there's a lifetime of regret saying I wish I'd have fixed this. I've come today to fix it for you. I've come to tell you there's reconciliation in the blood of Jesus 
There's reconciliation at the cross. Can somebody shout with me? I've come to tell you, Jesus came to restore, to heal, to repair, and to deliver the lives that the devil has destroyed. Give him praise if you believe that. So the beginning of this was contention. It was dissension between brothers. The Bible said that Genesis 25 and 29, Jacob was cooking pottage. Let me, let me translate. He was cooking soup beans or green beans or some kind of vegetable soup or something. Are you with me? And Esau had been out in the field, and he hadn't done very well because he came from the field and he was faint. Then Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, watch this. Watch this man, how, he, how devious his mind is. Sell me this day your birthright. According to the law of birthright, Esau being firstborn was to get a double portion of the inheritance, which meant that Jacob would get half as much. Esau would be the one for, for whom all of the patriarchal heritage should be named. But Jacob says, I want you to sell it to me. Esau says, behold, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do me? And Jacob, watch this, taking advantage. I looked into this. I thought Esau wasn't just hungry. He was to the point of passing away. He'd stayed in that field so long. I don't know what had happened. That he, uh, he was, his health was in jeopardy. He was about to die. Instead of the younger brother being compassionate, sort of like the story that Jesus told about the his father's living and went into the far country and wasted it and when he came back and the father killed the fatted calf and the elder brother stood outside angry. I want to tell you something today church, you look down through scripture you can see it time and time again. Families divided because of the, the dysfunction in the family caused by parents who didn't have adequate or even proper parenting skills. But I've come to tell you today that what the law could not do in that it was weak it could never repair it could never restore thank God this gospel of Jesus it causes every barrier it crosses every barrier it tears down racial barriers it tears down dysfunctional family barriers it tears down generational barriers can I tell you the same Jesus that saves the gray headed old man saves the young child the, the teenager this gospel works for everybody Hallelujah. Glory. So he said, sell me your birthright. I'm going to die. He said, he said, well, then swear to me. And he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. He didn't stop there. Jacob was old and dying in Genesis 27. And, he, and or, or, uh, Isaac was, I'm sorry. And Jacob goes and says to his father in verse 19, he lies to him says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I did what you told me. He had sent for Esau to go kill some venison and cook it and come and feed him so he could speak the patriarchal blessing over him. Do you understand this was more than just, son, I want you to do well. This was imparted by the anointing of the Holy Ghost when he laid his hand upon Esau and said, I'm going to make you a father of nations and all of that. Esau would have become what Israel is today. But Jacob, he deceives his own father. I'm trying to show you. 
This family was under a curse. Amen. And he said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done what you said. And uh, then in verse 26, his father says to Isaac, uh, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he kissed him. And he smelled his raiment and blessed him and said, I see the smell of my son is as the smell of the field. He took animal skins and put them on him and, and deceived his father. Then he says, therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine and let people serve you nations bow down to you be Lord over your brethren and let your mother's sons come and bow to you cursed be everyone that curses you and blessed be he that blesses you and it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of the blessing of Jacob and Jacob was scarce gone out uh, from the presence of Isaac his father and Esau his brother came in from hunting and Esau hated Jacob. It says in verse 41 because of the blessing wherewith his father had blessed him. Can you imagine the heartbreak of Esau when he come back and said dad I'm ready for you to bless me and then Isaac says I don't understand. I've already blessed you only for him to find out that his brother not only had gotten his birthright but now he's gotten his very blessing. Do you understand? The Bible says he hated him. He hated him. I want to tell you it's a generational thing. It's a generational curse. The scripture said that he hated him. And you know what he said in verse 41? He said, I'm going to be comforted morning, the morning of my father, and then I'm going to kill my own brother. And his mother had to go to Jacob and say, you've got to flee this country because your own brother is about to kill you. Do you all understand? I want to tell you that there is things going on in families today that only God can heal. There's things going on between generations that only God can heal. There's things going on amen, between family members and between tribes and, and, and things that are happening in our land today, in our country. We're a divided nation. We're red states and blue states. We're liberals and conservatives. We're tea parties and whatever else you want to call it. But I'm here to tell you, the answer is not in Washington. The answer is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's in the cross. So, all of a sudden, we see the beginning that started, amen, with deception and contention. And then we see there was a place where there was a breakthrough. Somebody say breakthrough. The Bible said Jacob in Genesis 28 went from Beersheba, and he's going toward Haran. He's going on the way that his mother sent him. He lights up on a certain place. He tarries there all night. Because the sun was set, he takes a stone of that place, puts them up for pillows or for security, and he lays down in that place and sleeps, and he dreams a dream, and there's a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reaches to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou liest, to, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. This is the place that Jacob would call Bethel. It's the house of God. Let me tell you something, folk. We're living in a day when generations have forgot the house of God. We're living in a time when, when the mothers and fathers of World War I and World War II prayed, those that prayed this country 
through wars that we should have lost. Do you understand? We were fighting on two fronts. We were fighting the Japanese as well as Nazis, uh, uh, Germany's Nazi party. We were fighting Hitler. We were outmanned. We were outnumbered. Not only that, but the, but the Soviet Union was involved. And so we were a nation that should not have won that war. I've read, I've got books that I've read. I've read after generals that were in that war. And they'll tell you things like, if it hadn't been for the way that the weather was on D-Day of the Normandy invasion, we would have never pulled that off. How many knows that was God intervening? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? When the Japanese sunk our Navy at Pearl Harbor, they, 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 they say that the restoration and the raising up of the American Navy was nothing short of miraculous. No way that it should have happened. I'm about to shout right here. And what are you saying, preacher? Then all of a sudden, a German scientist, he, he, he gives us the technology to build the atomic bombs that literally end World War II. And, and all of that came to pass because we were a nation that was on its knees. Then came Korea. Then came Vietnam. And while our soldiers were in the jungles of Southeast Asia, the future leaders of America were in a place called Woodstock, New York, having drug-laden orgies. Are you hearing me? We, Our nation was turned away from God. They were burning their draft cards. They were spitting on our soldiers when they came back from the battlefield. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying we are a nation that's under the curses of generations that have forgotten the house of God. Forgotten the house of God. Hallelujah. I started to think about this, the breakthrough. How did it happen? He comes to that place called Bethel. He lights up on that certain place. He, he sets this stones up for security. He lays down. God shows him a ladder. You remember what Jesus said to Nathaniel? He said, hereafter, you're going to see the heavens open over the Son of Man. And you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. What would God say? He said, I want you to know, inhabitants of earth, there are agents of heaven that are ready to be dispatched to your rescue. I want you to know if you've got drug-addicted family members, and you've got alcohol-addicted family members, and you've got family members that are in the occult, you've got family members that are that are involved in the things that are destroying this nation, I want to tell you that over the Son of God, there are angels standing at the Father's back in command. And when the church begins to lift up the standard and cry out in the name of Jesus and plead the blood of the Lamb and take authority over the powers of darkness I'm here to tell you God will send angels to set your captives free. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say he's preaching the curse stops here. Let me go on. Let me go on just a little bit. Jacob later comes back and to another place. And the Bible says in verse 24 that a man wrestles with him till the breaking of day. And the scripture says, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. When the Lord saw that Jacob wouldn't let go, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go. For the day breaks. The angel did. The Lord did. It was Jesus. And he said, I'll not let you go except you bless me. 
So Jacob said, what's your name? And he said to Jacob, uh, he said, and what is thy name? And he, and he said, Jacob. And then he said to him, thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men and has prevailed. And Jacob says to him, tell me your name. And he said, why would you even have to ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For he said, I've seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. I've come to tell you today, you can get free today. You can get a hold of God. And if you won't let go. Do you know, I, an old preacher told me one time, he said, you listen to me, son. He said, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. That was a theophany. That was a pre-incarnate uh, uh, revelation of Jesus. And he said, you remember this. He said, when he got done with Jacob, said he limped for the rest of his life. He said, don't ever trust a man that don't limp. I said, what? He said, don't ever trust a man that walks like he used to walk. He, come on, he said, don't ever trust a preacher who still walks like the old man. Ooh, I'm about to shout now. There ought to be a change. If you get a hold of God just right, I want you to know he'll break that mess off of you. You'll be done with drinking. You'll be done with doping. You'll be done with lying. You'll be done with the things that have plagued your life all those years. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many's glad you met Jesus and you didn't let go till you got changed? <laughs> Nick did it again this morning. He heard from God. He sung that song, I held on. I wasn't gonna let go. I wasn't gonna let go till I got blessed. Can you say amen? Let me, let me go. I'm, I wanna get to where I wanna help you if I can for a moment. Sometimes we preach a lot and don't help anybody. But I want to help somebody. Hallelujah. Then, verse 18. He said, when Rachel was dying and her soul was departing, she looked at this little baby. She looked at that little innocent, precious baby and said, your name is Benoni. You're, you're, you're the son of my sorrow. Your daddy will always remember that I died when you was born. Huh? Been through that, haven't you? Been through that kind of mess. Uh, it was when you were born that things went wrong. Some of you have heard that kind of stuff all your life. We was doing all right till he came along. Or till she was born, that's when everything went south. Speaking a curse over that child. You, you know, you kind of grow up here and stuff like this. You know, you, you'll never amount to nothing. Yeah. Well, your brother and them, they'll do good, but oh, you're, you're, you're just waste. That little baby, he don't deserve this. He don't deserve mom and daddy's mess up. Daddy's lying, deceiving spirit. He don't deserve that. And she looks at him and says, Benoni. But by this time, the man of God's changed, and his name's Israel. And he says, oh, no. Not Benoni, but Ben-Hamin, the son of my strength. And my strength now is no longer what I was born in. It's not that I'm a heel catcher, but now I'm Israel. I'm a prince with God. I'm, I'm a new man. Glory to God. I'm a new creature in Jesus. I may have used to be a mess, but now my babies are going to enjoy the favor of God. Woo! 
We've come through some stuff. I'm not old, but I ain't as young as I used to be. I remember the turmoil of the 60s and the 70s and the riots and the assassinations of leaders. I, re I remember the things that plagued our nation in those days. And I got drafted and went in the Army in 1972. And the contention, even among soldiers, because of racial differences and ethnic differences and even geographical differences, even soldiers in the army, when I was in training, and, I, we, and later on when I was, I was a military policeman, most of the fights we broke up among our own soldiers was because of the divisions that had been caused by generations of foolishness in our own country. Can I preach like that? Are you hearing me? If there was one thing that should have made us all one, it was the fact that we all had on the same uniform. Didn't matter what color our skin was. Didn't matter if we was Puerto Rican or African American or, or a hillbilly from Kentucky. We had on the same uniform. We should have understood that God, or that we were in a place of, of standing in defense of a lifestyle that we all were enjoying. But what happened was there were generations of division and separation. But I've come to tell you today that in the body of Christ, division ought not to even be named among us because we're blood washed. We're sanctified by the truth we're filled with the Holy Ghost and the curse should stop now hallelujah should stop now can you say amen so all of a sudden we're at a place where the curse is broken the Bible said in Deuteronomy 21 and 22 if a man commits a sin worthy of death and he be to be put to death and uh, you hang him on a tree. Because verse 23 says, His body shall not remain there all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. I want you to remember that. He is accursed of God. God put a curse on him if he's hanged upon a tree, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord God giveth thee as an inheritance. Now watch this, Galatians 3.13. Paul said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Then he quotes Deuteronomy and says, as it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Jesus went and was nailed to a cross. He was hung on a tree. He became a curse so our curses could be broken. He became a curse in the first generation, his own perfect generation. He was the only begotten son of God so that the curses from the first man, Adam's generation, could all be broken. Hallelujah, I'm about to shout. I've come to tell somebody that when Jesus hung on a tree, he did it that the curses might be broken. Not only that, that the blessings, somebody say the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through Him. Oh, hallelujah. Give Him praise if you would. The Bible said God anointed Jesus in Acts 10, 38 of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all that were accursed of the devil. 
for God was with him. And we're the witness of these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. And how God raised him up the third day and showed him openly. I started to think like this. If Jesus died on the cross and rose again, how many believes he did? That we could be have the curses broken and the blessing of Abraham come upon him. How is it then that we would appropriate this deliverance through Christ? Let me, let me say this. There's been a lot of people have been saved, but they never got the curses broke off their life. You understand me? A lot of people got saved, but didn't go far enough to get free from the drugs and the alcohol. A lot of people got saved and didn't go far enough to get free from depression. They let it destroy their lives. I've seen it for years. I've seen people wrestle. I'm a new creature, but I can't stop. And I know that some preachers hear me say this on the radio, and they'll say, well, they wouldn't really say, well, you believe what you will believe, and I'll just stick with the Bible. Are you hearing me? Who am I to say that if a man repents and asks Christ into his heart and the Bible says God forgives him and because he can't stop, he can't get free, am I to say he never got saved? No. I believe that there's, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can be saved and continue in those things. But I'm saying once you're saved that God will try to bring you to the place that I've got you this morning that you can learn how to appropriate deliverance. How do I get free? How do I get loose? I mean, I, 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 I can say, well, we lay hands on them. We laid hands on them. Uh, can, I, can I just mess you up right here? We've even cast the devils out of them. Only to have them go back to it later. Because Jesus said when the unclean spirit's gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest, finding none. He says, I'll go back to my old house. He comes back, finds it swept and garnished. Somebody ought to shout empty. Nobody home. No Holy Ghost there. The Holy Spirit's gone for some reason. And then he brings seven spirits more wicked than himself and moves back in. And the end of that house is worse than the beginning. Are you with me? Now... I found something written by a man by the name of Larry Huck. He's a pastor. He's planted churches in America and Europe and Australia. He writes for Charisma Magazine from time to time. Here's what he said. He said, there are nine ways to break generational curses. Hallelujah. I read through this and I agree with it. So I'm just going, can I just read it to you? Just share. I'm going to read it all, just the highlights. He said, first of all, you don't have to let sin and shame cripple you. But these steps, these, these ideas of Scripture can set you free, amen, and help you discover freedom from your past. First of all, he says, recognize the curse. In order to get free and set free and stay free, you have to admit that you have a problem. That sounds simple, but we live in a day and age of denial. Are you hearing me? Each of us are responsible for the choices and decisions we make. If you really want to be free, you'll have to accept that responsibility and say, this thing's been on my life. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I'm going to Jesus, and I'm going to get free from it. Amen. It's not somebody else's fault. 
They may have started it, but you're the one that embraced it. Am I doing all right now? Number two, the second thing you do is verbally break the curse. You break, you talk to it. Jesus said you speak to the mountain and tell it to be removed. You don't run to the pastor and say, anoint me with oil. That's good. But you've got to deal with your mess yourself. Am I doing all right? You've got to break the curse. As we apply God's word and power to our lives, and as we choose to walk in righteousness and obedience to God, the chains of bondage will be broken. Hallelujah. And the, we take steps, amen, to be set free. Hallelujah. Number three, you give your life to Jesus. If you're here today and you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict or you're hooked on pornography or you were molested and abused and you've been a molester or you've lived with somebody that was and tolerated it, so many times we see, God, here I go. So many times we see somebody raised up in a family where they're molested as a child and they only grow up to marry somebody that molests their children and they do nothing about it. I know that's, that's, a, that's a, Lord God, that's a touchy subject, but I, I've just got to obey the Lord. Are you hearing me? So what you do is you give your life to Jesus. You fight the battle with spiritual weapons as the word of God, the armor of God. You regain control over the power of your will with, uh, when Jesus shed his blood. He brought you back. He bought back our willpower through the blood of Jesus. Hear me. I want to say it. Through the blood of Jesus, you can say no. Amen. When, when Mr. Reagan was president, the first lady came out with a program that said, just say no. And yes, you can just say no. But unless you do it through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Spirit of God, it's hard to break it. I want to tell you, when you're saved, you're a new creature, and you have authority of heaven to just say no. Amen. No to drugs. No to booze, no to lust, no to alcohol. I can go on and on and on. Now, the next thing you do is reverse the curse. Say that with me. Reverse the curse. There are three keys you can use to reverse the curse and live in victory. Number one, recognize your enemy. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against Satan himself. The drug dealer is not your enemy. The devil that, that's driving him is. Amen. Amen. So, so you recognize your enemy. Number two, you forgive people who have hurt you. Unforgiveness blocks God's mercy to your life. I don't care what they did to you. Make it an act of your will. You might say, I don't feel like it. Well, say it anyway. Make it an act of your will. It's not how I feel, but I will, God, to forgive them, and I forgive them now. You must, you must do it. Can you say amen? Forgive the people who have hurt you. Number three, treat causes and not symptoms. For example, insecurity, jealousy, or fear makes you act the way you act. Deal with it through the power of Christ. Amen? Number five, release the power of love. To become people whose lives are transformed by the love of God, we must not only get rid of what holds us captive and keeps us bondage, but we must also be filled with the love of God that flows through us and changes people's lives around us. We have to release the love. Can you say amen? Number six, 
Develop a godly attitude. Develop a godly attitude. How many of you know Christians who are saved for a while and they go along for a while doing real good and then they get a stinking attitude? You know, they become holier than thou. They become judges instead of helpers. They become unforgiving and they get bitter and they sort of look down on everybody. They'll write you letters and tell you you're going to hell because you don't believe like they do. Are you with me? So what we do is develop a godly attitude. A good attitude does not make everything go perfectly all the time. But Matthew 5.45 tells us that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And what our attitude does is determine whether the rain will wash, amen, will water the seeds of our harvest or wash those seeds away. I've got to have the right heart for God to produce in my life. Amen. I'm about, I'm about done. Godly attitude. Look at somebody say godly attitude. Number seven, you align your words with God's words. Your words give evidence of your faith. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your words should reflect God's good purposes for you. Exchange your negative words for positive words. Exchange your negative thoughts for positive thoughts. Exchange your negative actions for for positive actions. And I'm not talking about, you know, somebody's power of positive thinking here. I'm talking about agreeing with what God says about me. Let God be truth and every man be a liar. And everything they've always told me negative about me, God's reversed it, so I might as well agree with God. I'm healed. I'm blessed. Come on, have me a shout, I'm healed. I'm blessed. How many of you shout, I'm favored of God? Hallelujah. You ought to buy you one of them t-shirts that says, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Is this all right? Align your words with God's words. Number eight. Are you ready for this? This is one that people really have trouble with. People have trouble with acceptance. A dear friend of mine that I knew as a, as a teenager we used to do things together that I won't talk about, but he, I got saved first, and I'd been saved and preaching, and, and we had planted this church, and we were still in the carpet store, I believe, at the time, and we were having prayer meetings, and he lived right across the drive from me at our house, and so many people would come. We'd block his driveway, and he couldn't get out. And he'd tell me later, he'd say, you ought to be over there praying. And he said, something had come across the yard and come through the walls of my house. And he said, we'd walk the floor and cry and couldn't sleep at night and didn't know what was going on, thought we was going to hell. I said, that's called conviction. Amen. Now, he was a man never had no education, couldn't hardly read or write his name. But he got saved after that. And he came to church here a few times, and I, and I always loved him. He was always dear friends, and I always wanted him to come to our church. And he was just kind of, you know, kind of going here and there. And finally one day I nailed him down. I said, why don't you come to church here? And he said, I'll just tell you. He said, I'm just not smart enough to come to your church. That kind of hurt, you know, my feelings a little bit. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I can't read. I can't keep up. I said, man, that doesn't matter. I said, God will still minister to you. He said, I feel good every time I'm there. But he said, I just, he said, I sort of feel at a disadvantage talking to people. Never would come to church here. Now, he's in heaven today. And I praise God for that. But his problem was acceptance. Let me help you with that. I know in this room, 
There are people that are smarter than I am. Definitely people that are better looking than I am. There are people got more money than I do, live in a nicer house than I do, and got better clothes than me. In this house, in, in this house right now, there are people that are more spiritual than I am. They're probably deeper in, in, in the things of God than I am. And so my problem is I, I can't allow myself to be intimidated. But we're made accepted in Jesus. We're made accepted in Christ. Is anybody hearing me? We're made accepted in Christ. Hallelujah. And, uh, and so it doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, no matter what your race, your ethnicity, or whatever, you are accepted in Jesus Christ in this place. Glory to God. Now, the way you understand that is, is that you have to get this. You have to accept God's acceptance. I want to say that again. You, sir, you, ma'am, born in sin, lived a sinful life. I don't care how bad you've been, how many times you've tried to live for God, how many times you've failed, how awful you've been. You have to accept God's acceptance through the blood of Jesus. Are you with me? You have to accept that. Jesus didn't come to condemn us or punish us. He came to give us hope that our lives can really be different. We don't have to live under the burdens of pain, hurt, shame, and sorrow. All the power of heaven is available to set you free from every chain that binds you. Corey Tenboom said this. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Hallelujah. No pit so deep. I believe she pinned that while she was in the concentration camp of Nazi Germany and praising God for having lice because the German soldiers wouldn't rape the women because they had lice. Are you hearing me? And God brought her out. And finally, number nine, as Nick comes to the music. The last step is important. You must walk in obedience to God. You have to walk in obedience to the Lord. It's not always easy to obey God. You hear me? It's not always easy, but it's always possible. I mentioned being in the military a while ago. I remember in basic training, they made us do stuff that I thought I could never do. And I did it. I accomplished what I was supposed to accomplish. I saw guys fall along the way trying to get where I had gotten to. And it would have been very easy to fall down and give up. And I'm not saying that's what they did. Maybe that was their breaking point. But I seen myself keep going. I'll never forget this. We was in basic training. We'd went through almost all of our eight weeks. And there was an old boy from Chicago, Illinois. I'll never forget him. His name was Marvin. Marvin was, was a black man. He was an African-American. He came from a very poor neighborhood. He lived a very poor life. He was, he was real wiry and slim, wasn't real healthy, got drafted. And Marvin, we had to pass the PT test to graduate. And if you, did, if you couldn't pass the PT test, they'd recycle you back through it again. I'll never forget, we'd all taken our PT test, and Marvin was the last one, and he had 
tried one day and failed. And so they gave him another test. And I'll, I'll never forget this, Daddy. This, you got to understand, this was in the 70s when there was a lot of racial tension and, and everything going on. But I'll never forget this. We'd been eight weeks together living in the barracks together. We had, had kind of molded into, at least into a team. We were, we were close. And I'll never forget that last day Marvin had passed all the tests except for he had to run the mile. And we were all watching as he was trying to make that last lap around that track. And it looked like every step that that fellow was going to fall on his face. And every one of us were stand up cheering him on. Come on, Marvin. Come on, man. We were, were crying out to him. Come on, man. You'd make it. Everybody's on their feet. And he just, I mean, he was just, just you thought he was going to just fall on his face. But the minute he crossed that finish line, even the drill sergeants were jumping up and down. And those guys hated everybody. <laughs> cheered that old boy on and we all graduated and old Marvin stood right up there just like he was as tough as anybody there and he made it and I want to tell you something today God wants you to know the curses can be broken the failures of the past don't have to be final you can get out from under what you're under Walk in obedience to God. In order to break free from the curses and, and walk in freedom, you must learn obedience to God's Word, to the leader of his, leadership of His Spirit. Because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Your family can get free. Your children can get free. Sometimes things are happening in our kids, and we don't realize it is because of something that their grandparents did the great-grandparents or maybe even that we did and it needs to be broken when you come to the cross of Calvary the curse stops if any man's in Christ he's a new creature old things pass away all things become new bow your heads with me if you would and said I hope you enjoyed today's message and will tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.